Hello and welcome to the Music Works podcast. I'm Katie Beardsworth, director and founder of Polyphony Arts, and today I'm sharing an episode I recorded with folk musician Kieran Schiffrith for a new podcast we'll be launching soon in support of our Mixtape Music Makers program. Kieran and I founded Mixtape Music Makers last year with the aim of bringing a new cross-genre way of learning and experiencing music to the northeast of England, and we thought our listeners at Music Works would enjoy hearing this conversation. You'll hear us explore the thinking behind our collaboration and why we think this approach will prove valuable in bringing children to music and instilling a lifelong love of music making, whatever area they may choose to concentrate in as they grow and learn. In this episode, which will be our opening episode for the Limitless Music Making podcast, we talk about musical gateway drugs, gatekeepers, being brought up in folk and opera and how the traditional ways children are encouraged to learn music can end up being self-limiting and hold them back from stepping into their full musical selves. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer, serving the music community since 1960. If these difficult times have shown us anything, it's that life can be unpredictable. Allianz offer cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Plus, every Allianz Music policy now includes free legal assistance and support so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Now, if the worst happens, you won't be left out of pocket and you can get back to doing what you do best. To find out more about this and Allianz's special online offer of two months free cover, go to alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. And now let's tune in to this preview of Limitless Music Making with me, Katie Beersworth and Kieran Schiffris. Hello, I'm Kieran Schiffris. I'm a professional musician who specialises in folk and currently plays with Catherine Sakal in the Darkening and the Monster Cayley Band. I do strummy and blowy things, sometimes to instruments. And I'm Katie Beardsworth, a music consultant and entrepreneur. I'm a singer. I work on music festivals and projects. I'm an artist manager and a coach to music and creative professionals. Well, uh, okay, so it's clear one of us sounds like more of a professional <laughs> than the other one. Um, well, but to the first time uh, listener of uh, what we're about to do is we're going to have a look at. Um, building a youth music program for the very first time i don't think i've i've not i've not built one from the ground up have you done this kind of thing before uh no certainly not um not in the way that we're doing it now i've been involved in a lot of youth music um program organization but never in coming to uh the actual concept so this is very exciting yeah it's good fun isn't it? it is um and with this kind of thing um the, the, i think the first thing that i always think about is you know what it was like for me um, growing up in Birmingham, which is where I where I was uh, raised, and um, what my experiences were as a kid, it, it is it, is that the first thing that, that you were thinking of, uh, Katie? Actually, it wasn't. I <laughs> you said this just before about talking about our uh, our experiences of of youth music as children, and um, so yeah, I'm looking back yeah, on them now and and uh, reflecting on on what it was like is uh, certainly an interesting journey uh, to go down. Yeah um so my so, so go on so your 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 uh your classically trained opera singer i am yes 
So how the hell do you become, sorry, (laughs) how do you become a classically trained opera singer? Well, so interestingly, most of my youth music experiences wouldn't have involved a lot of that. Um, I was a cellist um, at school and did uh, a lot of um, playing the cello. And also when I was younger, I did a lot of um, just kind of general music and drama and um, creative, uh, you know, summer holiday clubs and things like that. Um, I really enjoyed singing and I, I started learning to sing in secondary school. Um, I kind of went through a bit of a um, journey with styles. What's your, so, Katie, yeah? what, what, you know you were saying you, you learned to sing in school. Yeah. What was the actual stuff that you learned to sing? Because singing is one of those things for me. It's, you know, everyone sort of sings and mm. you see so many people singing on TV. Um, I haven't got a clue. Like, I... I, I <laughs> One of my friends asked me a singing teacher to, to get them a singing teacher because when you're a musician, like everyone thinks you can get everything for them, which <laughs> you, you normally can, to be That's fair. That's part of it, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I know loads of amazing singers, and I asked every single one, and none of them said they would teach singing. Mm. So, so what what was that experience for you as a? Well, I learned. Um, I started off by learning kind of or being interested in learning musical theatre singing. Um, which I think is very relatable to kind of teenage girls. Um, yeah. And, you know... Um, what, 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 what was your bag? What oh, God, bag? I don't even know, like Les Mis and uh, just, oh, I mean, nice. you know, it wasn't well-researched. or But, you know, it's, I think it's interesting. <laughs> I got into a debate with someone recently about um, musical theatre. They were claiming that it is just like all, you know musically useless and I so like vehemently disagree with that because it is actually an incredible skill in so many ways other than just singing and also its accessibility makes it so much easier for for people to actually get into something which is like stagecraft and everything else you want to interrupt me I can see that no no I've, well <laughs> what, I've, what I've just developed here um is a as a hand signal for I've got a point about this uh, so so I for, for the listeners at home I've just raised Gently extended <laughs> my uh, index finger on my right hand just to indicate to Katie that um, I she'd, she'd said something good. Um, I really didn't think it was going to uh, be one of those podcasts. Like, <laughs> uh, well, you, you said something there which which I think really resonates with why we came up with um, our little company that we've, we, we've started, which was um, this person was saying that musical theatre was what was your words well my words weren't they were they they just basically thought it shouldn't they just hated it i mean they were being unnecessarily you know facetious but they just thought it wasn't really a form of art basically and i just you know which is obviously i mean so the first thing i said about this when i sort of let them know what i thought was that you can't Mm. define an entire genre in that way anyway you know it's not like there are so Mm. many different kinds of musical theatre as there are folk jazz opera everything um but also um if the reason why a lot of serious musicians don't rate um musical theater especially very famous um musical theater because they think it's got less musical value but actually if it's the thing that resonates with young people as they're developing their musical interest then i think there's an enormous value in that and so if i went from wanting to sing Les Mis, which was a sort of gateway drug to opera. Um, <laughs> me, um, and for many others, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> um, I had gateway drugs, but none of them were opera. Yeah. I think mine were just 
just drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's... Um, but it is it's interesting because and it's i mean there's so much in what we're talking about already isn't there that's that's the kind of reason why we came up with this idea because the fact that you need a gateway or an accessible um way to get into any kind of music is is slightly bewildering isn't it really and says a lot about the way that we are presented with music and the way that um culture makes us think about different types of music and um and what the value of it is and how easy it is to enjoy it um so yeah Gatekeeping. Gatekeep, absolutely. Like, absolutely. The gatekeeping moment. Mm-hmm. Like the, this this idea of ascribing value, like intrinsic oh, yeah. value to, to, to sound is, uh, is, is, is mental when you come through the other side of it and you, like you have a lot of experience in, uh, say, performing and, you know, being around performers and, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, and actually thinking about this is making me think of a lot of assumptions that I had um, growing up about different types of music and what they meant. So my family were very musical. There was a huge classical music yeah. background in my family. So I always had that available to me. So I was, yeah. it was, you know, I was either going to love it or hate it, wasn't I? Um, but I went yeah. to a lo- I did loads of folk stuff. I did loads of, I did Irish dancing very badly. Um, and <laughs> when I was, you know, like 11, 12 um and i did I why, why, why did you why did you say why did you say very badly <laughs> just wasn't. Why, why do you think you said uh, that i wouldn't you, who, who, yeah who, who cares is, in, in a way uh well indeed but this is this is like 12 year old me you see um being released yeah. on this podcast <laughs> yeah. not okay to be good at stuff because that's not cool um <laughs> ah right okay so that's interesting so so, so like literally wh- when you were that age you had like a value, an inbuilt value system. You, you liked doing the Irish dancing, but you also knew that you weren't very good at it. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same about things now that I do. I do yoga, yeah. and I'm not good at okay. that either. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> stuff that we're not. Yeah, good. let's, let's, let's do a whole podcast episode plenty, on stuff that plenty. we do that we're not good at. Um, but yeah, so but also. Um, and I wonder what this will be like, how this will resonate with you. But certain types of music were definitely for certain types of people. Like one of the reasons that I've, I like, for example, I love jazz, but I would never, ever sing jazz because jazz is for people who are much cooler than I am. And like, yeah, yeah genuine belief that I hold. And uh, <laughs> and also, I mean, I'm not I'm not trained in it. And, you, you know, you get to a certain point where you don't really want to um, you get so stylistically ingrained, especially as a classical musician that I certainly feel like I don't really have access to sort of stylistic information about what it would be like to be to sing jazz or to sing folk because it would sound like someone who doesn't really do that um, doing mm. it without, you know, the kind of stylistic knowledge or training um, that a professional jazz or folk singer would have. So I suppose that, that in that sense, there's some I mean, there's probably some truth in that one could argue that it doesn't matter. But what was it? What was it like for you though? Because were you? Were you? I think you come from a musical family as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, my my, my folks are uh, uh, folk singers, mm. um, and they have uh, they've done loads of stuff. Um, they used to run a yearly small small festival, just a family run festival, but there was a few thousand people there. So yearly, I got to see some of the best acts in the folk world for free. Uh, meet them all, you know. Th- through that, I met like 
I know Robert Plant isn't a folky, mm. but I met Robert Plant and Bob Geldof and, you know, just as a kid. Um, then these amazing bands like Sheena, Lunasa, uh, uh, there's absolutely tons of them. What, what, what are they? <laughs> what, what, what are they? What's that? That sort of homeless looking hippie band that everyone loves. There's only one way of life. <laughs> What's that band? Sorry, anyway, I want to help you out is, here. But <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I had a fa- fa- fantastic, fantastic uh, folk upbringing in that sense. Um, they were, uh, but but you know they were. They mum's a Scottish singer. Didn't didn't play any instruments. Uh, not I mean, didn't play any tunes. She plays baran. She plays guitar, um, and she's a great singer. Um, and my dad's the same. He he plays tunes, but like he's like developed his his own sort of way of sort of playing folk sort of thing. Um, yeah. So that's 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 my kind of. So you're super ingrained in uh, the folk world, then. It's yeah. I thought I was until I s- until I went to university and did a. Um, traditional and folk music degree and then i met like these kids you know some of whom were like fourth generation fiddlers shetland fiddlers <laughs> do you know what I mean? yeah that's really like, their granddad's their granddad's so there's granddad. like there's totally an equivalent to this in the classical world because it's like so i was really um i met like my dad used to run the northern symphonia so I met lots of people who like were um, really, really eminent with them and um, famous conductors and stuff like that, who at the time were just like people my dad knew. Um, but then oh, wow. and then when I went to uni as well, there was all the, there's like these different like layers of people who understand different things and who know different people and um, and all that kind of thing. I do remember, actually, because I've also worked at a university and I remember this student hang on just hold hold on to that thought because i was just just in case nobody knows what the northern symphonia is oh yeah the northern symphonia or now the royal northern symphonia is the um is a chamber orchestra that's based in newcastle and gateshead and now at the sage gateshead but it's been around for about i think it's been around for over 60 years um and so yeah my dad ran ran that in the 80s and a a chamber orchestra sounds like a small thing to, to my ears but actually, when you go and see them, yeah, it's it's not so a, small a chamber thing, orchestra is, it? is yeah, it, it means smaller than a symphony orchestra, but it's still a lot of players. It's still I feel like I'm going to let down my musical knowledge now by not knowing the exact definition, <laughs> but it's around um, thirty to forty players rather than symphony orchestra being fifty, sixty plus. Um, right, okay. and they play different kinds of um, orchestral music. From the from the really really full symphony orchestra works that you might know, like um, just trying to think, the the one from the Hovis advert, for instance, being the, <laughs> the from Dvorak's Ninth Symphony. So the New yeah. World Symphony by Vers- <laughs> exactly. Dvorak, yeah. Well, the second movement yeah, from the Hovis advert. <laughs> uh, that, that, I only only just found out that like that classic tune was actually about America, and it's nothing to do with like the New World. That that isn't about no England. no absolutely it's uh, yeah. But I, well, I was like, you know, there's a lad on his bicycle with a loaf of Hovis bread. <laughs> and I was like, doo, 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 doo. it's like the most uh, English thing. Sort well, of Hovis thing. obviously thought so, didn't they? But yeah, no, it's, it's indeed about, about America. Um, 
incredible. World of discovery there. Mm. So you you were talking. Uh, oh, so that thought I told oh, you yeah. to hold. Oh, I was just going to say just a story about uh, <laughs> about knowing people at uni and and ha- uh, just because oh, yeah. when I was te- uh, well, I wasn't teaching. I was running um, the office for the music department at um, at Hull University for several years, and there was a student there once who. Um, was asking me some advice about career stuff as people did sometimes and I was sort of saying this that I mean and she just very kind of importantly informed me that um that like really famous musical theatre um composers and singers like come around to her dad's house for dinner like all the time and I was like well good for you you don't need oh, any no. career advice then <laughs> uh. there was a certain way about like, well, you know, it's like I mean <laughs> well done (laughs) (laughs) I know but it is I know it's a funny thing you could do a whole podcast series probably on the phenomenon of who you know and what that means to Mm. careers because it is it's just everything isn't it um it is it is and there's a funny thing about when you're growing up and you're coming out of your parents shadow but your parents are the people who have been influencing you. So you, there's this fine balancing act between what y- you actually want to take from that experience. And like, for example, how it's annoying that my mum doesn't put the tea bag straight into the bin. Do you know? Oh, it's annoying. That, that you try to come out of that shadow. And you, you don't, it takes you, I think it takes you about 15, 20 years to not be annoyed by that. Is this something, is this a journey that hasn't amazing. ended for you yet? my the annoying thing is now that my wife has started doing it oh Oh dear yeah no i I, um i mean i could go on on this subject but let's not shall we (laughs) similarities between uh, spouses and parents are not a good thing yes um yeah yeah, because th- we're talking about coming out of the shadow of, um, and y- y- you you do learn a lot. And um, so, w- do you have any kind of like look looking back on, c- considering we we we're looking at sort of building a youth music program? Like, is there any kind of like formative experiences that maybe we can plumb the depths of to? see what our own experience yeah so i think um thinking about the conversation we've just had the the fact that we've ended up talking more about our our parents and our um musical circles than the than the youth music experiences specifically like the kind of one we're organizing which is like a you know an out of school um either holiday or regular term time music club um is that mm. the influence it's, it's all about influence isn't it and and the, the amount of influence that people's opinions have on you as a child and so the fact that um, in my opinion a music educational program or um, a youth music project needs to have the breadth of experience and perspective that can show ways other than what the child's parents have even if what the child's parents have is great there's always more to it than that um and you know that there needs to be um i suppose if you have uh, you know everyone has a home influence don't they whatever it is and then if Mm. you then have a youth music project that's run by people who have all put their own stamp on it really heavily in terms of their own influences then what you're not giving a child is a full well-rounded kind of open-minded breadth of experience 
Yeah. Well, and we we both we both uh, th- there's that there's that the grass is always greener kind of aspect of it. Like being a folk musician, when I heard like people improv improvising, um, like doing jazzy improvising or being able to play like um Rachmaninoff or stuff, I was like, oh my god, why have I? Ne- cause this was about wh- when I was sixteen. I, I think I met the first. No, was, was it college? Yes, about 16. Um, I met one of my, my chums, he's a classical he's a classical pianist now, um, called Darren Leaper, and he um, just used to smash out Rachmaninoff all the time. And it was, it was, and then there was, you know, the other guys who were really good improvisers, and I was like, well, I know a few folk tunes, but this is, what, why don't I know how to do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because you, you've basically, you've just got your, you know, what you, what, what basically your parents have given you, especially before the age of the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a very different world now, isn't it? Uh, but that's like I know, and oh I felt God. like that when I first went to to uni. I my grasp of um, understanding of certain things about music and music theory were and still are not um, anywhere near up to scratch <laughs> my contemporaries who were there. Um, um, yeah. In yeah. fact, one of the things that I always said about my degree was that I probably learned as much from the people that were there as I did from, from the lecturers, which I think is probably a good thing, definitely a good thing about, about going to uh, uni. I wonder how many people who have done a music degree would say exactly mm. the would same thing. Would you agree thing. about that? I wonder. I I think absolutely. I I I had a a, a few teachers, um, and they were all look. Basically, you, you can have as many teachers as the cow comes home, but there's only going to be a couple that are going to resonate. I I had one lesson with a gu- a guy called Niall Keegan in university, that resonated. I learned more from him than anyone else about playing flute which is one of the instruments that I blow, not straw. Well, it sounds like he taught you and, well. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. That was the <laughs> yeah. first lesson I had to start blowing into things, which was very confusing. <laughs> and then uh, the, 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 other lesson that I, uh, the other lesson that I got was that I valued amazingly was, was actually from Catherine Tickell, who I work with now, 10 years later or something, 15 years later. Um uh, but, but 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 the rest of it was being in awe of the, the group of musicians that were around me, like these young people who just were in love with the music. Like the, some people were in love with like the fiddle music of North America, you know, or they were like they the, some of the, the the folk singers. They'd they'd get around. It was um, it, I don't know whether you'd know them, but this there's a a group of three singers who are sort of pretty established on in the folk scene in their own right now um one emily portman another was lucy farrell um another one was jim causley um so they're all do they're all working with the top rung of you know folk music's a small small world but they're they're up there you know if if you like your folk you've probably heard at least one of them and they'd all just be, they'd all just be singing songs about, well, I don't I never listened to words of songs, <laughs> but it always sounded bloody awesome. And they were always harmonizing. And I, that was so alien to me, but it was so inspiring, like almost made me want to learn, you know, to get involved yeah. in this kind of thing. And then learning all about the tradi- traditions of like 
I didn't know there were such strong, unbroken Northumbrian traditions and different Scottish traditions and Irish traditions. I just sort of, being a lad from the Midlands, um, there wasn't much wasn't much going on down there. There's just the, the, the people that were sort of shipped in uh, for my pleasure <laughs> at, at my mum's folk club and festival. <laughs> um, but you don't sort of get a flavour of the, the kind of culture from that. I suppose it's a it's a culture thing, isn't it? Like, well, you're not um, uh, in it as like a peer of these people, are you? And I think that was what I what struck me about going to uni was for me it was the first time I'd ever been around a group of people who are around my age who really were openly there to do music and loving it. Because where my um, overwhelming experience of doing music at school is that it's not something or wasn't something that um that cool people did so being in like orchestra Mm. um you know if it meant that you couldn't play hockey like that was my dream but it wasn't um it wasn't the best thing for my social life um and like and like it felt like it really I mean I'm kind of joking but it really did feel like that was like this underground thing and that made it really hard for me to do things like um uh, summer schools because like none of my friends would be doing it and um mm-hmm. then you would had no idea who you were gonna kind of encounter so there was like a lot of social anxiety about mm. what it was going to be like when you got there and that was as somebody who was really at the home we did music all the time like it was literally one of us was always mm. playing music my brother played played the french horn which was quite unfortunate in that context but uh, <laughs> um but yeah so it was the first time I'd been and then obviously it was the first time I'd been able to really enjoy music making and break away from precisely what we did in our family which was great and I'm lucky to have it but it's like you said you kind of want to find your own identity with things did you have a moment that you that you could consider as I, I guess, like, correct me if I'm wrong about this, this not, uh, nomenclature, uh, but like this gatekeeping moment. Did you, do you, you know, you're talking about like uh, experiencing whether things are cool or not, uh, which is essentially just people saying mm. stuff to you. Uh, I mean, the, the, the story I'm thinking about specifically for me was I was playing, I learned classical flute. I never got very good at classical, fl- I mean, but there's classical flautists and there's classical flautists if you see what i mean um (laughs) um but uh when i was in when i was in secondary school in in the in the first year um i wanted to learn how to play saxophone and i wanted to learn how to play jazz jazz sax that's what i wanted to do and the music teachers said that uh It'll ruin my classical flute, I'm sure, and um, I wasn't allowed to do it. Uh, and it, and I, 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 just took that for years. That 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 little mm. bit of gatekeeping, where where she obviously didn't uh, like jazz. She she probably preferred a bit of cl- classical. She had this notion about it ruining your embouchure. Whereas I was just a little lad who didn't particularly need the world's greatest classical embouchure and there are plenty of flautists oh, who play indeed, saxophone. Know. it's, it's you know? really horrible <laughs> when you hear things like that isn't it i can't stand it like yeah there's been stuff like that often um i mean i don't know about this case i hear it all the time in people who don't who just kind of don't really want their students to study with anyone else 
so they say oh don't sing that mm. that's not you know your range or that's not your you know you're, you're all you know here all the time you're too young for this or that and the other and I mean I, there are some occasions when that advice is right but in general um it needs to be backed up by a kind of considered reasoning rather than just like it's going to wait for this magical moment when my teacher says I've developed enough to sing this particular piece of repertoire um yeah yeah no, I, yeah, yeah I had a uh I had a I had a moment with a a student um a 19 year old um sort of grade eight level which doesn't mean a lot I don't think but you it sort of means something to, to, to it means a certain amount but, of dedication uh, you know, has gone she, into she's it, applying right right exactly exactly um uh, grades we <laughs> yeah. can talk about grades another time <laughs> but let's let's forget about that uh she was saying oh I'm not really a guitarist uh, uh you know I can I can strum a few chords and and that but I, I don't know how to do this and I was like you're 19 aren't you and she was like yeah and I was like well you've got plenty of time to learn just just do it and she she, she was like oh right okay and then like a week later she sends me a she sends me an mp3 of her playing the guitar along to one of her tracks that she's she's making um without getting too much into it um sometimes I like my students to like copy an entire track a uh, whole instrument like if they can do the harmonies and if they can do like yeah. the chords as well like as much like, r yeah. recording music is actually really fantastically powerful way of 100 getting better yeah. at it i think yeah and then yeah and it sounded it sounded great do you know what i mean it didn't it you know there's obviously a little bit of work to do in, in various bits of it but most of it sounded absolutely fine and i think you know she she got this idea, you know, that she wasn't good enough. I wonder whether someone yeah, had told her that, or maybe she, it herself she, she, she did it herself. It wasn't her first thing. Yeah, now you hear a lot of that as well, don't you? Um, the biggest mm. one for that I always hear is that is people saying they can't sing, like at all, which I find uh, mm. just to be untrue <laughs> in almost every mm. case. Like I do believe that everyone can sing. Mm. Um, and there's lots and lots of messaging around that um, puts people off, which is uh, which is not what we want, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's the communal music making which we just don't have um, uh, intrinsic. You know, like it, what I I think it, if. M music in school would be great if it was kids like learning how to yeah. play music together um i i'd and th this was one of the first things i was thinking about with w that when i when we first started thinking about making a m youth music group is how how to get rid of these boundaries and um th th yeah. that we've been talking about um and one of them is is to a certain extent musical notation music theory um has to be uh put put to one side at a thought like I, i'm not sure why i'm not sure why as part of a, a gcse um talked to a lot of people or, or, or part of a, a year nine program that anyone what why do they need to know what a, a, a bass clef is do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it depends what um, they're doing, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose on the other hand, you could say that if someone does want to be 
a classical musician in particular, they do they need to learn that stuff at some point, and the older you get, the harder it gets. But certainly, I think seeing it as being a barrier to learning, like you can't play music until you know what all the dots on the page mean, is is certainly an unrealistic, um, mm. unrealistic way of doing it. I mean, and um, learning by ear and playing by ear and improvising are all really important skills. Many of which are are really not prevalent in uh, in musicians who have been taught to read i know a lot of choral musicians who've come through mm-hmm. um have done most of their music learning through church choirs from a very early age they can read music like mm-hmm. better than anybody um but mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's their tool it's a great tool but there are a whole load of other things that you know it's mm-hmm. not the only tool absolutely um kind of have mixed feelings about that mm-hmm. but then i suddenly thought maybe i shouldn't go into them it's interesting like i always come back to what victor wooden said who's this great sort of uh bass bass player jazz bassist and uh, i don't know what he'd call himself he, he does a lot of dif- different stuff but um he says you've got to learn to speak before you got to learn to read i'm sure that isn't the exact verbatim quirks <laughs> i'm quite a forgetful guy but uh <laughs> But that's the spirit of the. That's the spirit of it. And I, I was thinking, you know, th- te- teaching kids should be, you know, w- what's the first thing you learn? Mu- uh, music. It's it's basically songs, isn't it? Y- you learn wheels on the bus. Um, yeah, and, and they say, don't they, that you um, you do sing before you talk as well, in most cases. Um, yeah. And the same with, uh, you know dancing and painting and all those things are just in her i was thinking the other day about when i take my son out for dinner or for lunch and we just like stick a drawing pad in front of him without even thinking about it you know and it's like there you go it's like creative time and it's like that's so nice like what would i do if someone stuck a drawing pad down in front of me i'd be like oh i don't know i don't have to do this properly like (laughs) 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 because like i think this is the thing right so if you've learned all the stuff that you do if you're if you're um the kind of child who does things like goes to baby groups you might learn some sign language you might learn some songs and you just do them together and no one cares what it sounds like and everyone's grinning at each other potentially or like it's a way of dealing with being like really knackered um and you know what have you mm-hmm. um and then like fast forward i guess five years or something and you're like right now you need to look at these lines and dots and you're not going to be doing this properly until mm-hmm. you've, you know, learned how to do this particular thing with you, with you know, all. It's just, um, it's it's really relatable to a lot of education. It's just taking the fun out of it. And I was thinking mm-hmm. just then as well about um, about how we learn and about how important songs are for learning um, and rhythms are for learning. Because I've seen my sons, I'm sure yours are the same. They've got a days of the week song at nursery. And at the minute, if, if I'm like, right, we're doing this on right, Saturday, yeah. and he'll go, there's Monday and there's Tuesday. <laughs> there's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> and then he's worked out where Saturday is. And I was like, you wouldn't know that. Or certainly you wouldn't have known that when he was three or whatever and, uh, if he hadn't had that song. And the same with the months of the year. And he'll, they do things like clapping rhythms and stuff like that. And you just think, so where does that stop? And the time start where... You can't mix things like um, science for, you know, there's no like, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, you don't Mm. tend to get like songs about um, the stuff that you learn in school to help you remember it. You do on the telly. Yeah. Yeah, 
Well, that's it's just a really interesting point because uh, I was listening to a podcast a blind uh, with Blind Boy, who's um, epically f- famous podcaster from Ireland, but he he's a musician, and he was talking to a neuroscientist, and she was saying that the best way to to learn stuff is to have as many different um, uh, what what do you call it. Uh, many uh, many different um like sensory yeah. experiences as possible so it's like when you're learning maths you know y- y- you know you should th- if you can change the colors change the scenery smells you know th- the more sensory things that are going on when you're uh trying to learn something th- the more like it'll be implanted in your head which is kind of nuts really cuz you know you think oh maybe uh, would you not just get distracted and uh, or oh, yeah i mean but i don't know or would you pick the one that relates best to you and it would somehow sit i don't know i've noticed that yeah. my knowledge of things like squares has improved significantly since watching number blocks with my son it's genuinely <laughs> like really really clever the way they do that i think the way they like make it and like there's a new series at the minute it's just times tables and i just remember i still remember i can't have been older than five or six sitting in school and having to repeat times tables and just how like awful that was (laughs) i just think this is so amazing there's these weird kind of like rocket things just kind of like shooting numbers out and it's like hey (laughs) so much better um yeah Hey, isn't it? Yeah, because we have a kind of preconception of TV being sort of bad in the back. Well, of that really mind, depends so <laughs> on the circumstances. I maybe did before yeah, the yeah. first lockdown. <laughs> oh my, my view of it has relaxed hey, yeah. quite significantly now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you well you think of uh, you think of your number blocks. It, that is an amazing, yeah. amazing little cartoon. There, it's really visceral. It's it's got what the the world's catchiest theme tune. I don't know who wrote that, but it's some, it's some, <laughs> it's some I think it's some jazzer. <laughs> and the songs in the, like, I'm so, the songs in the like show as well are, are really, really memorable. And there are like episodes that I sing, like walk around singing in my head and I just like, and then some, my son asks for them and it's like, well, yeah, this, this has become really, really memorable because of the way it's been done. Um, and, you know, I think that's something to be said there. Now, I don't know. Anyway, so what we were talking about was, um, where were we up to? Well, we <laughs> before I'm extolling so the BBC. Well, we, we, we're on the, uh, we're on <laughs> yeah. the, yeah. Well, we're on the kind of idea of this limitless, yeah, limitless exactly. music making, aren't we? Which is a bit of a, is, which is the yeah. strap line that we are coming up with for yes. our musical endeavours together. Um, and how to approach limitless music making in a youth music context. Um, so getting breaking down the breaking down the need for st- rigid rules that have to be set. Doing it in the most natural and sort of. Now we're not experts in neuroscience by any means, but it would be great if there was some kind of found it, you know, <laughs> scientific foundation to any way that we chose to Mm, try and deliver music um and the um yeah i mean the limits are are all the things we've been talking about aren't they it's the gateways the gatekeepers the gatekeeping activities that have been put in place you know the kind of um 
things that people say to you that you just remember forever, even though it's just one person who said, oh, I don't think you can do that. Um, and yeah. um, they come in various guises, don't they? It might be about an individual and, and explicitly saying what they can and can't do, or it might be about, oh, people you know, like you, don't do this, or even, and it goes as far as the opportunities that yeah. are presented, because nobody has to say anything. If the opportunity isn't presented, then people automatically think it's not for them. And if they don't see people who are like them doing it, yeah. then they automatically think it's not for them, for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, we have we have a vested interest in, in the youth having, having, our own, having our own offspring. And that's really sort of one of, one of the major reasons why I'm I'm keen to have something for my kid to like meet amazing musicians mm. his own age, you know. Um, we're doing for the listeners at home. We're, we're the first thing that we we've booked in together is a a collection of introductions to different types of music for for underprivileged. Um, kids in newcastle yeah kids on free school meals so we're, we're going to try and work with the local um walls and memorial hall um and try and deliver folk uh americana classical uh uh all this kind of stuff um oh yeah brass music from around europe africa and america um just to try and introduce these kids to something different and then have a kind of springboard for our mm. youth music program. Um, and I think maybe we should, uh, on that note, may- maybe we should uh, talk about how to actually start building a youth program next mm. next yeah. episode. Sounds maybe. good. What do you think? I think. Yeah, in the kind of Having dot 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 capacity. This time discussing our our past, which has been uh, really interesting. I think I've not really thought about it like this before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I th- I, th- I think I think everything. I think mm. you know you're made up of your experiences, and our experiences mean we want to create something, and that thing we want to create is is f- kind of to make ourselves feel better, or you know, <laughs> in in a way, you know. What's the best way we can teach kids um, how to really, you know, be passionate about, not be passionate about music, you know, spark an interest, be creative. Music's uh, just vibrations of air, <laughs> like how would you get people? Well, when you put you it like that. <laughs> improvise. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it, your, mind, your mind gets blown open about like all the different things. You know, like y- you get raised on. I loved heavy metal when I was a teenager. I didn't listen to anything else, but when I, you know, th- these days I'll listen to anything. And uh, you know, uh, my friend Dave was um, talking to my other friend Matt the other day about improvising, free improvising with a pond, and that I was just like, oh my god, there's still like levels that I haven't it's even. Not not reached the mainstream you know, come yet, anywhere though, near <laughs> oh. oh my god i didn't even hear that <laughs> oh, i come promise on. you if i tried to plan a pun it would never come on. <laughs> <laughs>
I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really appreciate the insights Kieran brings to the idea of how the ways we are encouraged to learn music can end up being self-limiting and hold us back. We start life singing, dancing and drawing without ever stopping to consider what we are doing and how. So maybe we can take this as a mini manifesto to revisit the freedom inside to trust ourselves and let the music flow. It's definitely the way we want to approach the Mixtape Music Makers programme. You can find out more about the work we'll be doing with youngsters here in the North East at mixtapemusicmakerscic.com and look out for our podcast Limitless Music Making coming soon to a podcast app near you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.